right, thank you so much. Why don't you, while you turn your Bibles to uh, Judges chapter 8 tonight, Judges chapter 8, I wanted to share a verse to, I, I, to be uh, honest with you, I needed something this morning. I was, uh, I was just, you, I, like maybe many, I did not uh, get much sleep and what I did wasn't that good, and so I needed, a, I needed something from the Word of God this morning. And uh, here's what he gave me, Proverbs 19.21. I'll, I'll read it to you. You don't have to turn there, but uh, listen to this verse. There are, many, there are many devices in a man's heart, but nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord shall stand. Isn't that good? Whew. Amen. I needed that. I still need it. And uh, part, <laughs> I was sitting there just a minute ago, and I was right. I wrote a note. I got to prove it right here. I wrote down, um, God is never surprised. And then he said it, right as after I wrote it, he said uh, that God is not surprised. Irritates me to no end when he steals my material. Um, but how true that is. God is not surprised, is he? And just stopping, I've heard that a thousand times in my life. I've said it probably as many times in preaching that God is not surprised. But just stop and think about that concept right there. We go every day of our life, we enter our day, we might have it planned out, we might have, uh, have it on our, we know exactly what we're going to do that day, but really we don't. We have no idea what's going to come our way. We hear news, we hear, you know, just the other day where, where I was middle of doing something and I heard somebody say, or I don't heard, heard it or read it somewhere, Sean Connery died, you know, and just, we don't know who's going to die, we don't know, you know, whose last day it is, whether it's a friend I'm in the middle of just doing what I'm doing, and I got to get a call from my wife that my father-in-law has been rushed to the hospital, and, and he's uh, doing better, by the way. Thank you for those of you who are praying. He led his roommate to the Lord yesterday. I called him, and he said, my roommate has, had shared a room with somebody in the hospital, and here he is. He's sick as a dog. He looks, doesn't look too good, you know, and he's got oxygen up his nose, and he's preaching to his bedmate and he leads him to Christ and guy got saved so I said now you did what you were there to do now you can go home amen but uh but you know you just don't know you don't know what your day is going to bring you never know you just but God God does he's never surprised just imagine that for a second and then uh we are just called to trust in him and who better to trust than somebody who knows it all controls it all he's got it all under control and uh, he knows his end. I know my uh, thoughts towards you uh, to give you an expected end, thoughts of good and not evil. I can't remember exactly how the verse goes, but um, that is something for us to remember. Amen? God is in control. He is on the throne, and nobody is going to vote him off. Amen? So we just keep, him, keep that in mind and keep our thoughts on the eternal. Um, last week, we gave some homework. Remember your homework? Did you do your homework? Last week's homework was that we are to, we talked about Gideon and how he was treated and what uh, they did uh, for him here in Judges chapter 8. And we asked that you would see or show appreciation to someone uh, for something they have done or who, who or what they are or what they mean to you. And uh, so everybody do that. Uh, everybody get involved. Good, good. Many hands there. So I appreciate that. Uh, that's good. And and uh, was not going for this at all, but I happened to be the recipient of a few of them, so thank you very much for that, too. That was a blessing, a double blessing there. So uh, I did as well. Got a few uh, thank yous out on phone calls and cards as well. So uh, that's a good thing for us to get in a habit of doing. Be appreciative. 
uh, unexpectedly. Be appreciative unexpectedly. I mentioned last week just one example. Uh, get, get, just, just notice the name tag of your waitress at a restaurant and then write a thank you card in a gospel track and put it in the mail that week so that three days after you were there she gets a card. Just mail it to the restaurant to her name. That's a pretty big impactful thing. And then when you have a, a, a gospel tract and a $100 bill in there, hey, it'd make a big difference in her life, all right? Uh, so this week's homework. Ready for this week's homework? At work, at school, at, or at church. I would lean towards church, but I'd name the other two just in case uh, you've got that covered here. But uh, find someone that you see regularly but have not talked to or haven't talked to in a while. Just find somebody that, you know, and by the way, if you come Sunday morning, there'll be somebody like that here because the Lord's been blessing us a lot of visitors lately. And I, I would almost guarantee you we'll have somebody here Sunday morning. You either haven't met them or you haven't talked to them or maybe you haven't talked to them lately. Uh, ask them about themselves. Ask them about their family. Get a prayer request that you can pray with them and uh, get their name. And uh, that'll, make a bless, that'll, that'll, that'll be a blessing to them. People like to be uh, noticed and they like to be heard and they like to be seen. So... Uh, let's do that. So that's this week's homework. And if you can do that work, school, church. Find someone you see regularly, but you haven't talked to them. And uh, dig a little, all right? Be, uh, ask them some questions about themselves. You know, every, I tell my kids this over and over and over, how to be a good conversationalist. You know everybody's favorite subject. We know this about human nature. You can go to anybody on this planet, and you can know their favorite subject to talk about. It's the same for everybody. It's themselves. All right? You know everybody's favorite. Just talk about it to them. That's a pretty powerful thing we have at our disposal is anybody you talk to, you know their favorite subject. So talk about it. But most people talk to other people about their favorite subject, themselves. And that's not their favorite subject. That's your favorite subject. So switch it around. Ask them about themselves and get to know somebody. It's a great way to witness, great way to uh, give the gospel, uh, get to know them and listen to them as they talk. And then we're looking for... Uh, someone nice to do visitation on Tuesday nights. Uh, so if you know anybody that's nice that we can replace Pastor Forsberg with, you let us know and we'll get that done. Can you, can you imagine not being glad to see him? I can't imagine, can't imagine. Judges chapter 8. Talking about Gideon. Uh, the war is over with the Midianites. Israel is free from the oppression that they've experienced for seven years. Gideon uh, has just weeks earlier been a nobody. He has been... Uh, the least uh, in all my father's house, he said. I, I'm a nobody. And yet the angel had called him a mighty man of valor. And uh, so now that the battle is over, Gideon is uh, kind of the focus of attention, as you can imagine. He would be because he's the deliverer of the nation. And so the Israelites now come to Gideon. They make a request. We saw the request last week. I'm going to do a, just a real quick uh, a review here, and then we'll, we'll get into tonight's part of it. Uh, but there, we see two requests. We saw their request. Tonight we're going to look at Gideon's request. Their request was that they want him to rule over them. They want him to have dominion over, over them. Let's pick it up in verse 22. We're going to see Gideon's response, and uh, then we'll uh, look at his request. Because both of them made a request. Both of them were not good requests, and, and we talked about one of them last week. Uh, verse 22, actually. Then the men of Israel said unto Gideon, Rule thou over us, both thou and thy son, and thy son's son also, for thou hast delivered us from the hand of Midian. And Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you, neither will I sh shall my son rule over you. The Lord shall rule over you. And Gideon said to them, now here's his request. I would desire a request of you, that you would give me every man the earrings of his prey, 
for they had golden earrings because they were Ishmaelites, and they answered, We will give it willingly give them. And they spread a garment and did cast therein every man the earrings of his prey. And the weight of the golden earrings that he requested was a thousand and seven hundred shekels of gold, besides ornaments and collars and purple raiment that was on kings of Midian. That is gold. The gold part of that was fifty to sixty five pounds of gold. Uh, so this was his request of them. We'll see what he does with it in a minute. But let's get started just uh, as we look at last week, wrap that up, and then we'll start on his request tonight. Father, we thank you for this time. Thank you for each one of these folks that made time to come to church tonight. We're grateful for them. Pray for those that are watching that couldn't make it tonight. Uh, you just that you would be with them as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, we saw first the dominion request. So they asked Gideon to rule over us. This was a Quite a request. Obviously, they were requesting him to be their king, but not only that, they asked him to set up a dynasty. You know, your, your son, your son's son, so we, will, we want you and your family to rule us for generations to come. Now, Gideon was asked to be king because thou hast delivered us from the hand of Midian. So because he was their deliverer, they wanted him to be their ruler. Now, we talked about the good part of this request. It was a deserving recognition because Gideon got... Uh, so he, he was honored, and he should have been for his, uh, for his obeying the Lord and what he had done for them. Uh, the Ephraimites hadn't honored him. Uh, the Succoth and Penuel hadn't honored him. And now he's getting some of that well-due honor, and that's a good thing. We talked about a whole list of people that deserve our honor, according to what the Bible tells us. Uh, then we see it's also a deficient recognition. It's a, in honoring Gideon, they left out God. They didn't mention God at all. Hey, if, if 300 men defeat 135,000, who really is to give the credit? Who does the credit really go to there? Not Gideon. It goes to God. That's obvious. If a 17-year-old boy defeats a battle-hardened giant, who gets the glory? God gets the glory. And so God had specifically said that he wanted that glory. And so now they did exactly what God said they would do. Uh, when he whittled them down to 300, he had told Gideon in chapter 6, uh, I, you've got too many, lest Israel's going to claim the credit. And now they did claim the credit, or giving the credit all to Gideon. Men, by the way, mankind is, wants to honor anyone but God. Anyone but God. It's just the way mankind is. Now, why did they choose Gideon? Well, because he was their deliverer, but why did they want a king in the first place? The answer is found in 1 Samuel. When they asked to have a king over us, this was a few years later, that we may also be like all of the nations, For Samuel 8, 19. Israel wanted to be like the other nations. Uh, that is a sad commentary of their thoughts because they were not like other nations. They were uh, special. They were God's people. And when God's people want to be like the devil's people, there's a serious problem there, and it's a deficiency in their character. And so it was. We saw the refusal. Gideon's refusal is a great lesson on how to have victory over temptation because this would have been a tremendous temptation. That was a popular temptation. It was a request that was brought by the men of Israel, representative of Israel's tribe. So uh, the popular opinion of the day was that he would be their ruler. And so that was a, it was a, temp, a popular temptation. It was also a rewarding temptation. Think about everything that Gideon would have been able to achieve had he ruled over them. Money, power, success, uh, status, pleasure, luxuries, all these things. And, so, and then the temptation was plausible. Uh, the request implied that Israel had a great need. They needed a king. They needed somebody to rule over them. 
uh, those that were making the offer thought they did anyway. They thought they needed a better government and Gideon would be a part of it. But they did not need a better government because they already had the best government that there is. They had a theocracy. And God is the best ruler that there is. There's nobody better. Uh, they, they, listen, what government is not the answer, amen? I mean, we see that in our day. We can look at history and see that. Government is never the answer. Our deliverance is not going to come on Air Force One. It's not going to happen that way. That's not who we ought to put our hopes in. And any time a nation puts its hopes and its, its desires in their government, they are headed for serious, serious trouble. Well, here they wanted to shove God away. A theocracy, by the way, that's where God is the ultimate ruler, ruling through judges. That's what they had. God's not good enough. We want a king. How sad. Satan always minimizes what you have and maximizes what you don't have. Fourth, the temptation was very timely. Uh, one of the most dangerous times for a temptation to strike is at a time of success. I love what R.A. Watson uh, said, when we reach a mountain peak of success, the air is thin up there. And if we're not careful, we can get very heady. We can get dizzy, and then comes the fall. Uh, when we are uh, dizzy with our own success, we can make some bad decisions. So now, uh, to beginning tonight, that's where we ended last week. We're going to start with the conquering of the temptation. Uh, Gideon's refusal is a great example of how we ought to refuse temptation. Look at first, it was adamant. He said in verse 23, I will not rule over you, neither shall my son rule over you. There was no maybe here. There was no door left open. There was no possibility. It was no all the way. When they asked Gideon to be their king, he didn't only shut the door, he slammed the door, said it's not going to happen, no way, no how. The only way that we deal with temptation in our life is to, uh, is, is to forcefully say no to it, firmly. Anything less, you've, you leave temptation with its foot just in the door a little bit, you'll never really be able to shut the door to it, to it completely. You've got to shut the door to temptation. And then uh, you'll have a it'll be much easier to resist it going forward. Uh, one time, you've all heard of P.T. Barnum. Uh, he was a, the circus guy from last uh, 100 years ago. Uh, he invited Charles Spurgeon to come to America and speak in one of his Barnum circuses. And uh, he made a very attractive offer. Remember, Charles Spurgeon was a successful preacher in England, was a very well-known godly man still, uh, we call him the Prince of Preachers. And he made a very attractive offer. He said you can get $1,000 per lecture, which would be huge back then. We're talking like Hillary Clinton lecture money. All right, This was big at that day. And so uh, Barnum would get, of course, a lot in return because uh, Spurgeon was a very well-known preacher and crowds thronged to him. So this would have been an attractive offer. Spurgeon responded to him in a letter, and all he said, addressed it to P.T. Barnum, said, you will find my answer in Acts 13.10. Well, if you turn to Acts 13.10, you don't need to do now, I'll read it to you. And he said, and said, O full, o full of all subtility and all mischief, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? I don't think Barnum probably asked him again. <laughs> that was his answer right there. 
Uh, but Sir Spurgeon did not sully his character either or cheapen his name. He shut the door to temptation and he did so firmly and resolutely. It's the only way we're going to win over temptation. We can't play with it. We can't toy with it. We've got to defeat it. Secondly, this was self-denying. Uh, Gideon had to deny himself many attractive things, which is very hard for us to do. Lack of self-denial is probably the primary way we win the battle against temptation in our lives. We have a very hard time denying self because we don't want to deny our flesh of anything that appeals to it. No wonder the first thing that Jesus said, that is, if a man would follow me, he must first deny himself, Matthew 16, 24. No man will successfully live for God who does not know how to deny himself. No man will ever successfully battle with temptation who does not practice self-denial. Now, I say that because we are in a society that is, is an epidemic of self-promotion in today's society. We call it social media. Uh, we are in a, in, in a time of social media, the selfie, shameless self-glory, self-praise, self-flattery. When in truth, it's a collection, our world, our society, is a collection of lonely people who live meaningless, empty lives. Faking it on social media. Now, tell me the truth. When you were young, those of us who are 40 and older, uh, I, I, I just turned 40 six years ago, and... Uh, I found things change when you turn 40, get older than 40, don't they? they I, I actually have hurt myself in my sleep. Not doing anything, just wake up and I've hurt myself somehow. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a difficult thing. Anyway, those of us who are a little older, do you remember when you were young? Uh, if you would have seen somebody take their camera, lean back and turn it around and take pictures of themselves all day long, We'd have called the guys in white suits, given them special medication. Remember when you were a child and you would take pictures of your food, go and get that developed at the uh, photo store, and then go and pass the pictures around to all your friends? No, nobody did that. That's a late time, uh, thing of late. Uh, nobody cared what was on your plate. But we're in a self-obsessed time today. Everything is self-obsession. We're putting it out there. Everybody has got to know what's on my plate. No, nobody cares. But we are not, we're not about what other people care about. We're about self-promotion. We are in that type of society. The Christian life is not about self-promotion. It's about self-denial. And you will not live for God successfully if you don't practice self-denial. Jesus said it's a must. Must first deny himself. Gideon had some tremendous self-denial here because he was turning down I mean, think about what Gideon's turning down. Ruled out over us. We want you to be our king. <laughs> hey, being a king's a pretty sweet gig. Talk about $100 an hour. It's, uh, it's a sweet gig to be a king. Gideon said, no, you've got somebody ruling over you. I will not rule over you. It was also God honoring when he said, the Lord shall rule over you. Temptation will lose its power 
when we insist on honoring God, when we insist to give God first place, when we insist on acknowledging the Word of God as our supreme authority, when we insist that His honor be above our honor, it becomes pretty simple to start resisting temptation. That's when we'll conquer temptation instead of being conquered by it. I don't know about you, but I'm sick of being conquered by temptation. The failing in, uh, in, in, you know, over and over failing the Lord. And that's, uh, it's, it's something none of us enjoy. We need to continue to honor God and put his honor above ours. Joseph used the honor of God as one of the key weapons to defeat his great temptation with Potiphar's wife. I don't know if you remember what he said, but when she uh, was, and she continually did this, but she was trying to seduce him. And he was a young man. I mean, this would have been a tremendous temptation for him. And this is what he said to her. He said in Genesis 39.9, How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? That's the key to Joseph resisting his temptation. Because he recognized it's not just a sin, it's a sin against God, and I'm putting his honor above my desires. That's a self-denial type of life. Because he wanted to honor God with his life, temptation lost its power with him. It will with you too, if we keep God's honor above ours. Now, Oh my goodness, we're getting running out of time and we're just now getting to Gideon's request. Let's look at Gideon's request. I would desire a request of you, verse 24, that you would give me, every man, the earrings of his prey. Gideon wanted the people to make a donation from their war plunder. They had amassed many valuables with the spoils, uh, from the spoils of war with Midian. Golden earrings, it talks about, ornaments and collars, purple raiment. And all the chains that were about the camel's necks, all kinds of valuables they got here. And Gideon wanted them to do this. He goes on to tell us what he used it for in verse 27. And Gideon made an ephod thereof and put it in his city, even in Ophrah. And all Israel went thither a whoring after it, which thing became a snare unto Gideon and to his house. Uh, Look, I wish the story ended. When Gideon said, I will not rule over you, God's ruling over you. It would be nice if the end <laughs> could have been Gideon's story, but it didn't end there. And it's a, it, it's, it's a heartbreaking thing when you see somebody who does something great for God. And, and it, I'm not only talking about it in the Bible. I see this today, too. I mean, I've got, I've got several men right now that... Uh, used to be heroes of mine in the faith that we had we one man that used to come and preach revival for us every year and man i, I loved him i li- listened to his preaching i bought his cds uh, preaching cds and listened to his messages and he's in prison today for a wickedness against a child and and you know it, it's a sad thing when you see someone who has done great things for god who's been used by god and then fails whether it be morally or even as Gideon did here in in kind of an idolatrous way. Uh, It's a sad thing. And I wish his request had never been made. I wish the story ended with his refusal, but it did not. And so we can learn, as much as we can learn from what Gideon did right, we can learn from what Gideon did wrong. And with this request, Gideon goes from a great victory over temptation to defeat, just pretty much like that. In one breath, Gideon turns down temptation. In the next breath, he yields to temptation. 
his request is no better than the people's request. Uh, look at uh, what the uh, Bible says here, verse 25 and 26. We see that unlike Gideon, the people did not refuse the request given them. We will gladly give them. They spread a garment, and he started putting all the stuff on there. The gifts made quite a pile, as I mentioned. We're talking between 50 and 65 pounds of gold. Gideon took a great offering up that day. And uh, by the way, it's interesting, isn't it, that people will quickly give to a shady... <laughs> uh, it was no problem for them to uh, give all this money and all these valuables to Gideon when it was an unholy enterprise. You think you just have to go back a chapter. You remember when Gideon was going after the rest of Midian and he came to the Israelites and what did he ask for? Bread. Just bread. Nothing much. And they said, uh-uh, we're not giving you bread. Isn't that something? That was a holy enterprise, God-ordained enterprise. Gideon was doing right. It was a great cause, and they said, no, no bread for you. And here Gideon is not doing right. Here it's an unholy enterprise, and they just pour on the, the money to him, give him all he wants. We still see this today in our society. Worthless programs and causes seem to have no trouble finding backers. One of them, I, I uh, did a little research this week and to find the worst, the worst charity in America. And it's interesting because you'd think that's kind of a, a, an opinion. I had three different sources all named the same one as the worst charity in America. So if you give to this charity, I'll just help you tonight. Don't anymore. It's called the Kids Wish Network. Every year, they raise millions and millions of dollars in donations in the name of helping dying children and their families. And every year, they spend less, less than three cents for every dollar they bring in to actually help anybody, children, and their families. It's a terrible charity. Yet they make millions upon millions upon millions every year because people just hand over their money. And uh, then you have uh, genuine, worthy ministries. You have missionaries that have a hard time affording to go to the field. And you have... Uh, hardships in, in God's work because of people's withholding their tithe from the Lord, withholding giving from the Lord. Uh, it, nope, you can't have my bread. Here, take all my gold to an unworthy, wicked cause. It's a bad thing, the way that we as a society are in that area. One of the things that we have this inequity in giving is the poor condition, uh, the spiritual condition of these people. They uh, were giving to Gideon. They had very little spiritual depth. They've already uh, advocated going against God's will and leadership. And so it's not like they are spiritually discerned. They weren't already spiritually discerned. And so they don't even have enough spiritual discernment to ask Gideon why he wanted the gold in the first place. They were too taken up with the man to investigate his program. And what Gideon did with it was not good. He made an ephod. He put it in his city, even in Orpah. Pastor, what's an ephod? Well, an ephod is um, like a vest. Uh, it's a sleeveless garment. If you, you can probably picture, uh, picture Bible pictures, Old Testament, but it would be a kind of a sleeveless garment. It would come about down just a little bit above the knee, and it would be orna ornamental. It would be very, uh, it was priestly garment, by the way, in the Bible. And that's what an ephod is, but uh, the Sturgis rallies of the Old Testament didn't have, I mean, an angel came to me after all. I am spiritually speaking. I'm anybody, any of you have an angel come to you lately? I mean, after all, I should be the one leading 
spiritually here. Evidently, that was in his thinking. The high priest wore this ephod when performing his official priestly duties. Now, when we look at 1 Samuel 23, just a little history, chapter 23, 6 and 9, verses there, uh, verse 6 and 9, it talks about them carrying the ephod. So there evidently came a time where they did not wear it all the time, but they carried it. It was still a very special piece of material for the high priest. Now, Gideon doesn't say that he wore it, but he displayed it. It may have been a gold replica, or it may have been... Uh, uh, a, a, an actual garment that was made exactly like the original. I don't know. But at either way, it was hung in a significant place near his home because we can confer from that that Gideon wanted to function as a spiritual leader of Israel. He wanted the authority, the prestige, the respect of the high priest. The ephod would give this to him. And guess what? It did. The Israelites all came to it. They all went, the Bible says, a whoring after it. Uh, there, this, this is something, by the way, that our flesh wants very badly. And Gideon is not any different than any of us are. We like honor. We like prestige. We like to be lifted up. We like people to come to us for advice. And we like people to esteem us highly. And few things so attract fleshly pride as to be in a high position of spiritual superiority. That's a lot of words, but basically, nothing our flesh likes better than to be spiritually superior, holier than thou. Uh, no, that's why, so naturally, we compare ourselves to other people. Because we like to be... Now, we don't, say, we don't walk around with our noses in the air. We don't say, I'm better than you, but we think it, and we act like it. Because we love this idea of being better than someone else, being morally superior to another person. And I'm not saying we think it or write it down or talk about it. We just kind of act this way. We, it's an automatic fleshly response because the flesh loves moral superiority. If you don't believe me, start witnessing to people. You'll, it's, it's all you'll hear. I'm, I live a good life. I'm better than so-and-so. They compare. It's all about comparing. It's all about feeling better than uh, everybody else. Most people, most people think they are better than most other people. Did you know that? I, I, went, I uh, tested this theory, and I remember I, 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 had, I used to have a prison ministry. In, I wasn't in prison. I would go visit, and then I would be let out. Amen? That's a good thing. Only way to go to prison is if, if you can be let out at the end. And so it was in Jackson Prison, and I visited. I was working with a few men down there. And I found it doesn't matter who you are and what you've done. You think you're better than most people. I talked to a murderer. I talked to... A, uh, a man that had been a child molester. And both of them had pretty high opinions of themselves, morally speaking. I know I've done such and such, but I'm a good person. We have this, look, we can beat up on Gideon, but we like moral superiority. And we need to understand without, uh, we are nothing. We are wicked. We are nothing without Christ. And that would be a help to us. Um, Oh, I've got more, but we'll close out here. By the way, how did Satan fall? Superior, superior morality, thought he was better than God. I will ascend. I will be like the Most High. Why does God get to be more than me? I'm like, I'm just as good as he is. And uh, Judges, I mean, uh, uh, First Kings, I think. The temptation of Adam and Eve in the garden. What made them sin? Ye shall be as gods. Superior morality better than you. 
And so it's, it brings the ruin of many. The Bible talks about how it brought in a ruin to an individual. It became a snare unto Gideon. Gideon, it, it always does. When you lead others astray spiritually, you will be ruined yourself. And not only that, all Israel went thither. So it also was a, it brought ruin to the people as well. It brought ruin to a, fa- uh, to a family. Gideon's family uh, would go on to have terrible things happen to it. His, his uh, one son um, from a concubine killed all but one other son of Gideon's, 70 sons, to try to get, gain a rule over the land in chapter 8, verse 31 and 9, 1 through 6. It leads to all kinds of troubles and problems if we try to lift ourselves up above God. It ruined, brought ruin to a nation. All Israel went thither a whoring after it. A corrupt religion uh, always brings ruin to a nation. And it did here as well. And so much to learn from this, what we might deem a simple request. But it wasn't so simple. Uh, it, it said a lot about who Gideon thought he was. And as soon, I tell you, as soon as we start thinking more about ourselves than what we should, Uh, we're going to be heading for a lot of trouble. Amen? So let's remember the honest truth about who we are. If Gideon would have just left it at the Lord shall rule over you and left it at that, we'd have had a lot better ending to this uh, segment of his story. Amen? Father, we thank you for...